This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Just because you aren't named the starter in camp, or second string for that matter, doesn't mean you won't be asked to come in and lead your team to a huge top five upset later in the year. It's true. Latest example, a freshman lefty from LSU. Wyatt got the ball. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Wyatt towards the end zone. Pass. Oh, touchdown by Matthew Butler. Matthew Butler. What's up? I'm Matt Wyatt, and on this channel, I use my experience as a player and broadcaster to explain things about football and help you enjoy watching the game. It's Thursday, so this is a collab with Chase Thomas of the aptly named Chase Thomas Podcast. And I'll have links in the description if you haven't tried it yet. I highly recommend it. Max Johnson, the son of former NFL quarterback Brad Johnson and Athens, Georgia native, came through for LSU late in the season and gave the Tigers a spark. He's absolutely a true freshman this season that showed he could be a future star in the SEC. The thing is, LSU's plan wasn't to have to go to him this year. Miles Brennan was the starter, and when he got hurt, TJ Finley, another freshman, was the first off the bench. Let's take a look at how things went. Johnson threw for a little over a thousand yards, but really only played in five games, the final five games. That makes his eight to one touchdown to interception ratio even more impressive to me. So you could definitely look at the way Max played late in the season and think he's now the man in Baton Rouge. Well, that very well may be the case in the future, but it stands to reason he'll still have to win out over Brennan and Finley in 2021. For comparison, before his season-ending injury, Miles Brennan racked up a lot of yards and touchdowns in the air. Brennan played in only three games, but threw for more yards, more touchdowns, a better completion percentage, and therefore averaged about twice the passing yards per game. He was actually on pace to have a big year in spite of his team's struggles to win games early on. So Brennan was hurt, and LSU turned to another freshman, TJ Finley. And when that started to bog down, they gave Johnson a chance under center, beginning in week six against Auburn. But it was really that Florida game. Three touchdown passes on the road, knocking off a top 10, top five team in a national stage. That was the coming out party. He followed that up with a five touchdown game, three passing, two rushing, in the season finale win over Ole Miss in a shootout. Right, here's his first touchdown pass against uh, Florida. It's down here on the goal line or at the five. And they're going to cross the guy on the other side, back of the end zone, and he puts it up in there nicely. Really nice throw. So uh, this is early in the game. It's their first touchdown of the ball game. Look at the formation. It's a left-handed quarterback. They're going to kind of put him on a move over here uh, to his left. The route itself, it's just taking both outside receivers and uh, more or less pick play, but kind of crossing them. They're going to give you two options, one hooking up in front of the safety, the other trying to get across to the other side behind. 
up to the quarterback to read and decide, you know, which one gets the ball. And right here, tight end is supposed to block one-on-one -on, -one on the edge because of the movement of the quarterback kind of moves him right into the defender. And that underneath defender, he knows I've got all this area. That's where the touchdown throw is, but I've got to make sure I don't drive it into somebody right here. This is a really nice touch throw while pressure is uh, coming. Watch him right here. Okay, so he's free. I mean, and any quarterback can feel it, see it. But his eyes are where they're supposed to be in here, back of the end zone. Again, he knows I got a guy who's getting in this void and it's wide open. But I can't throw a line drive pick right here. So watch him put it up. Air under it. So you get it out of his reach. This is really nicely done. And inside of that uh, back line of the end zone where my guy can catch it. That's a beautiful throw. And, you know, when you work on stuff all the time of driving balls into guys and throwing it hard, it's tough to then, I think, as a freshman coming here and sometimes throw this touch throw. You know, if he hangs on to it, he's actually got a touchdown coming open here, too, underneath. You see him sliding right there on the hitch. You throw this in there, it's a touchdown to Butte. But he knows I've got, you know, speed at the back corner of the end zone. Kind of see what he sees. And again throwing it up it takes guts to throw that in the end zone with a guy right there and you know the first three yards of the end zone ball's picked if i can get it over its head it's a touchdown good decision but even better throw and let's take a look here crosser good job you know in the pocket this is a, a good pocket that's set up for him four-man rush step well really three-man rush because one uh drops off on this side so only three so you know, he's standing in there. Guys are getting behind him, standing in there reading downfield. You see a pretty quick release, too, um, if you watch mechanically right here. Ball's back. It's a little bit long. I mean, it doesn't, you know, come right up out of his ear. You know, he's a little bit drop it and then come up, but still not bad. Good footwork and put it on him where it's easy for him to catch it crossing the field and not having to stop and catch it on dead run. You saw the route. It's a nice route, too. We see this more often where they give that inside move and the DB tries to jump it to jam you inside to hold your route up. And they're just teaching you, hey, take the release to the outside and get to your route. Whatever you've got to do to get to your route quickest, take it. And this is what he does. And right here with a, you know, top of the throw and the accuracy, a defender closing. So if I make him stop and don't lead him, then it's going to be bang, bang and going to get hit. And if I throw it high or high and behind, it could be tipped and picked. So uh, if the accuracy is there, though, just like that, like walk it out and hand it to him where he doesn't have to slow down or stop, now I can catch it and outrun my guy and try to make yards after the catch. So accuracy on the throw. And this is why a touchdown on busted play right here for uh, Florida. They're going Cobra or corner blitz. And regardless of what is called in terms of the route, you know, um, a quarterback, and it's on your hash, and you're taught to look for those things. Here he comes. He's reading that side anyway, two-man route over here. And they bring the corner, and nobody defensively, they've got a bus right here, there's nobody over the top to take that deep third or take that man. If it's supposed to come from underneath, they're way too slow on it. So a total bust on a corner blitz, leave him wide open. But good quarterbacks have a knack for making defenses pay for their mistakes um, and it's something that you can't teach they just have a, f a way of finding your mistake and making you pay for it and he did it right here
see it up top, kind of what it looked like. If you look at Florida, they've got four on the line of scrimmage. If it were a 4-3, you're like, well, there's the three, but they're all shaded off the hash into the boundary. If these are your two safeties, well, one is over this Cobra who's coming to the field, but it's like he's maybe mixed up. You got two safeties coming this way, and I guarantee you one of those safeties is supposed to be the other side. They got their calls mixed up or something to that effect. Here we get a look at a play from behind. Move in the pocket, throw a deep ball. Watch him right here. And we're focusing on a quarterback. You know, this is um, good to watch games like this. And I wish you could, you know, I wish I could get more copy like this because you can see it from the perspective of the quarterback, how, you know, you're looking at alignment and splits. And, you know, in this case, I got a um, defensive tackle head up my guard, my center's uncovered. You read all that stuff in the run game. Um, but what you do know is when he lines up here, he sees one safety here. Uh, off the ball, left hash, one safety in the middle, kind of splitting the football. It's two high safeties. And if it is cover two, I'm expecting a hard corner right there. He knows what the call is, a little play action throw. So you can give him a little bit of a fake. Now, again, because his eyes are here and then here, the eyes are in the middle, he's seeing this corner blitz, trying to get free pressure, safety coming over, and it's a matter of, can we cover this? Now, whatever the rules are, some teams' immediate corner blitz is hitch, depending on personnel and who you're playing. Other teams, it's hit that sideline out, run that safety, and that's what you've got right here. So a little bit of movement because I think he's expecting, okay, I got linebacker and corner to this side. I may have to go, but this is a nice job to kind of sense and see that it's halfway picked up, put my foot in the ground, and now get ready to deliver the football and throw it accurately. So even though... It wasn't a straight, clean one, two, three, four, five, and pump or, or you know pump it out of there. Get his feet back set, knee going forward, and deliver a strike on a deep ball. Little bit underthrown, you know. You put it out in front of him. You got a touchdown. Probably see it from this angle. Yeah, there goes a corner. Now I got to outrun the safety. One little move, nice move. Okay, and right now he's beat. So if it's way out in front of him on a dead run, he's just going to run it down and score. So it's a little bit underthrown. And probably the, you know, guessing on the pressure and didn't really know if I'm going to get hit and then having to reset my feet is probably why it's a tad bit underthrown. It forces him to turn around here. Still, though, big play when you needed it. Here they're on the goal line. They get man-to-man, -man and he throws an easy touchdown here. So rub route is what this is. It's uh, three by one. Actually, it's empty. Um, so your back's coming across in motion, speed motion. When you see him motion like this, and now I got a defender who's running with him step for step, that means it's man to man. Like if I'm going here and that's my man, I got to go with him, right? So it's usually an indication of man to man. Sometimes they'll switch it, but most of the time that's what that is. There's a reason, you know, we got all this going on to the inside. It's because this is a design rub trying to do this. And if they switch it and somebody falls off, then the read's going to come back in here. If they don't switch it, I'm immediately going to that flat route and they don't switch it, I see leverage. If I've got one step, even if there's room, you know, a two or three body difference, I'm going to get it to him. The key is the accuracy of the throw. And if you're standing there in his shoes, this is a true freshman playing high school football last year. If you're standing there in his shoes and this guy's bearing down on you unblocked, you absolutely feel and see that blue jersey. And it's a matter of, can I drive my knee right into him, good mechanics, and make a strong, accurate throw where my guy can catch it and doesn't have to stop. 
And he does. Puts it right on him. It's not low, make him fall. It's not behind him, make him stop. Put him on him running and he scores easily. That's a really nice job. Okay, and uh, let's see, we're gonna get a stop right on the outside. This is a big play too. Uh, if you look, it's a 34-31 game. They've got a narrow lead. I <clears throat> uh, can't see all the formation, but it looks like it's two by two. Two receivers wide side. Nope, it's actually three because of the tight end. So uh, it's three by one with a back in the backfield. Florida putting four in line of scrimmage. It's uh, two linebackers in there. So this is a nickel with two high safeties. He's seeing that on the pre-snap. And so, again, what he's thinking is, if it's true cover two, then I've got a hard corner. That means he'd stay up here. This corner would defend this flat area. And if my, I've got a vertical call, I may have a chance for a hole shot back in here if I can hit it before the safety comes over. Maybe, you know, I'm just guessing maybe that's what he thinks pre-snap. He gets a snap, <clears throat> and what's happening? They're rotating it down to man, okay? And it's a little hard for him to see because his fake is to his right. The fake to the back is to his right. So he's actually got to take his eyes off of this side of the field. When he snaps it, again, it looks like cover two, like I showed you. But when he snaps it, this is that trigger blitz for the nickel coming off the hash. So watch him come down. It's uh, to make up for that. It's the safety coming over to take this guy man to man. Safety rotating back to the middle of the field to be the center fielder. And it's now man to man out here on the edge, man to man route. Turns, it's picked up, but it's not picked up great. I mean, they're really trying to get in his lap right here, not to mention the tight end is letting some, some leak happen to the outside. So again, it's a left-handed quarterback reading the wide side of the field, and he's got two guys, blue jerseys, getting in his lap as he throws the football. This is really impressive to me because he didn't get the go-route runoff He's getting a curl or stop comeback right here where the ball's got to be let go to the back shoulder of the receiver one, in a, like a one-on-one -on -one route with the timing and the accuracy so that uh, the receiver can make the play and the DB can't. And he's doing this with a guy jumping right in his face about to tattoo him. And not only does he let it go, he can't even get a full release on the ball. Look, his arm is hitting the helmet of the Florida defender as he lets it go. I mean, that hurts. That's injury stuff right there, okay? But look how strong this throw is. That is an absolute dart. Now, I know the defensive back fell down, but that is an absolute dart, okay, that's 15 yards downfield from where he lets it go or more, and he didn't even get to really follow through. That's a really impressive deal. Now, it turns into a 30-plus yard play because the DB fell down, uh, but still it's a nice throw, given the pressure especially. And this was just, you know, this is not a throw, but a play late in the game. Tie ball game, 34-34, with a minute and a half left, first and 10. You got to get it across midfield to try to get in field goal range to win this thing. And they're going to ask him to run the ball and read it. Turn, he's reading the end man on the line of scrimmage unblocked, right? That's going to be his read. Now, you know, I say that they're pulling two backside linemen and tight ends coming across, so... Maybe it's straight call. I don't know. It looks like a read to me, though. They're going to turn him loose. And if he steps down inside, I'm going to keep it and follow those guys, and that's exactly what happens. Okay, so now he's to the edge, and go make nine yards and help to get your team in field goal range, which they eventually did. Took out a coach on the sideline also. 
Hey, if you enjoyed the video, would you consider subscribing to this channel? I really appreciate that. And if you wouldn't mind, hit that like button for me, which is a great help. If you have any questions or suggestions for future videos, reach out to me on social media. I'm Radio Wyatt. Again, thanks for watching, and I'll see you on the next one. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. We're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by my old boss down there in Atlanta of 68 the Fan, Carlos Medina. Carlos, good evening, sir. How are you? Oh, my friend Chase. I, I don't even respond to the whole boss thing. We were mm. uh, we were learning radio together. And well, you had I, learned it at that point. I think I was learning radio at that point. You, you were you learning, but uh, again, you're now this experienced podcaster. You got networks after you. Mm -hmm. I, I see where this is all grown. I see what you're doing. Well, you see the plan. I, I'm eventually going to be the number one sports podcast on this planet. Like that is um, that is what is going to happen. The number one sports national podcast, and I'm with Blue Wire now, and that's been awesome. And um, really excited for this year with all of that. But uh, five years in the making. But I could not have gotten here without uh, learning the ropes from you, Los. I, I will tell you that I will not take much credit. I'll take like two percent credit. But once you hit that point, I'll uh, I'll be screaming from the mountaintops that he did it. He did it. There you go. I'm I'm gonna hold you to that. Um, how have uh, have you been? I've heard you you got a dog because I listened to the Audio Fun Bag, a podcast that everyone should subscribe to if they have not already. Um, even though there is one person on that podcast, like Brian Hoyt, who seems to be really just unraveling as a human being week to week. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much of that is his home life, how much of that is the burnout and leaving his job. It's just. There are so many things that I'm worried about with him, and you know, I it, there's a lot of cowardliness to him. I think at this point, and uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of worried about him. I will tell you this: burnout is real. Mm -hmm. uh, we've we've seen some people, especially uh, you know, the the trying times we've had over the last you know nine ten months that. Uh, people have reevaluated what's the most important thing to them, and when it comes to Hoyt, it's been his family. For me, uh, that caused me after the loss of my uh, my sweet, clean puppy dog after nearly 16 years to bring another dog into the house. And so we have a 10-week-old puppy, and uh, she keeps it interesting around here. You might even hear her bark in the background at some point. How is it going? Because I, I listened uh, when I was <laughs> – this morning, I was uh, doing some stuff around the house. And I listened to y'all's uh, latest episode this week, and uh, I heard uh, you're sticking up the dog is what I gathered. Yeah. Yeah, what I was not aware of, my previous good, sweet, clean puppy dog was was Harry Boy Medina, and Harry Boy had this really fine, small hair, and it didn't really matter what he was around. He didn't carry any smell with him. Well, mm -hmm. now Pinkie Pie, and that's the name. Are they going by these full names, these double names? Yeah, oh, yeah, Harry Boy Medina, Pinkie Pie Medina. Okay. Yeah, this is this is what we're going with. Uh, well, Pinkie, uh, the pinkster, as it turns out, I stepped out of – 
out of my I was basically down in the basement. I stepped out. I was like, you know what? I feel like having a bourbon and a cigar. And that seems like a real manly thing to do. I was watching UFC fights and football was on. And I was like, I'm going to gonna be a real mountain man here. <laughs> the next morning, my wife goes, why does a dog smell like cigars? Um, apparently, her hair just traps any of that smell. So now... Uh, I have to make it a point that if I ever decide, hey, I want to uh, have a cigar, um, yeah, I got to keep her inside or I got to Febreze her afterwards. All right. Well, is the puppy still good? Is it a hit with the kids? Yeah, no, she's been great. She's been totally great. She's a, a Bernadoodle, a Bernan, uh, Bernadese mountain dog mixed with a poodle. She'll be about 45 pounds, and she's uh, she's really sweet with everybody. All right. Well, that's good, man. That's good. Yeah, it's my, been cool. My girlfriend has a what I refer to as a giant Pomeranian and uh pretty awesome pretty pretty awesome nice yeah i'm very pro fluffy dog big fluffy the more fluff the better in my opinion except that's for what, that's what we got going on yes. in our house big fluffy dog exactly but then you'll realize i need like 19 lint rollers uh around the house at all times because it's just the hair it's non-stop and it's on all your clothes before hold you on hypoallergenic my dog does not shed oh really yeah, that was uh, that was a big key for us. So yeah, that's a uh, that's dog talk on the Chase Thomas <laughs> podcast. What's up? <laughs> um, dog talks. Uh, hey, you know what? If they're not here for the dog talk, then I'm not here for them because dogs... I'm gonna hang up right now if they don't want to hear dog talk. Exactly, exactly. Um, in other news, the Falcons have a new GM, Terry Fonda. By all accounts, Mickey Loomis's protege for years and years. Um, Ryan Pace kind of leapfrogged him for whatever reason with the Chicago Bears GM job a couple years back. Um, but fought not put in his dues been working since I think he was like 22 in that organization. He really, really grinded. Um, we know how well they've, uh, drafted, but a lot of that too is Jeff Ireland and what he was doing. Cause Loomis seems to be more of a cap guy and what he does in negotiations for the saints. Um, when you saw Terry Fonnott was going to be the new GM for the Falcons and based on what you know about how the, the, the saints have operated over the last decade with Peyton and breeze, were you initially like, okay, I, this makes sense to me, or were you like, mm, this is kind of concerning? Well, I started as a Jeff Ireland guy. When we started this process, I realized that there's there's two areas that the Falcons had to improve in, player uh, pro player personnel evaluations, mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent, college player evaluations. They've done a good job of, of, of on their roster of being able to at least hit on first round picks, find guys that can play, uh, and they move forward from there. The issue that I had was that, oh, wait a minute, you're going with a guy who his entire job is scouting pro personnel around the league, around, uh, you know, he even looks at like the Canadian Football League and everywhere else. He's looking for talent. But then when you realize the New Orleans Saints have been one of the better teams and it's going to hurt them uh, this offseason in terms of their cap, they've been really good at being able to Find other veteran players around the league and say, we can get more out of that player than he would have gotten when he was playing with another team. DeMario Davis is one of those players where I'm like, okay, you're in New Orleans and now this is what you are. Uh, there, there's a lot of guys on that roster. And so that goes back to the work that, that, that Fontenot has done where you just say, all right, he's 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 seen him, he's picked him out, and they've been able to produce. And so uh, I, I definitely think that he deserves that opportunity from the fans. Let's see what he's able to do in the NFL draft and getting this roster looking bigger uh, and and tougher and changing uh, the kind of the look and the the way this team has been defined over the years, which has been a team that blows big leads. They got to get away from that. Yeah. Um, 
when I saw Arthur Smith got hired and everything, and we know that the Titans have put up the most offensive touchdowns in the last two seasons of any other NFL team. I believe uh, PFF had them as the number two offense uh, this past season. Um, things are good. Things were rolling. They had a strong identity. They knew what they were. They maximized Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. When I saw this, I still, everything comes back to what they do with the offensive line. Because if Hennessy develops, if Jake Matthews is healthy, um, they still have a hole there at the left guard spot. Carpenter was really bad. Um, the right side, health, Lindstrom and McGarity, a lot riding on that. Those two first round picks from last year. Everything comes down to the offensive line. Is that fair? Because there's a lot of focus on the depth at corner, a lot of focus on the depth at uh, the defensive line, a lot of focus on the depth at running back. And I'm like, well, everything about the Falcons and the Arthur Smith area over the next couple of years will come down to do the Falcons get back in PFF's preseason top 10 rankings in offensive line, or do they stay in that 20 to 25 range? Because if that is the case, 4-12, and 5-11 is more likely to keep happening. But if Matt Ryan has time and they evolve – to be more like the Colts and the and the Steelers have been in the last couple of years where Munchak rebuilt that Steelers offensive line and the Colts obviously drafting Quentin Nelson and friends to protect Phillip Rivers um, and on the flip side, Ben Roethlisberger and Pittsburgh that kept their title and contention window longer with those older quarterbacks than it really should have been and would have been had the offensive line not changed. Um, do you see that being a possibility with the Falcons? Because if it's not, then there's no reason to keep Matt Ryan but if you believe you still can fix this offensive line and it can get into that top five, top 10 zone, then you can still win a, a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan. Is that fair? You used a word there, and I think it's important. You said identity, and I think that's what the Falcons have lacked, and I think that's what the hope is that Arthur Smith is going to to ultimately bring, the style of football that you're going to play and obviously the the guys you're then going to try and draft to fit that identity I think that if you're in a scenario now, because Hennessy is now going back to his regular position of center, he he, he had two starts at guard at Temple. So mm. his play at guard, uh, when, when he was a guy that I was evaluating for the NFL draft, I was like, you can't tell me, hey, this is how he looked like at guard, so this is how it looked like at center. It's like, sorry, if, I, if I'm a second baseman and you tell me to go play center field, I'm going to look different. Uh, I, I think a lot of it comes back to the Falcons. If they commit to the run game and if they can shore up that left guard position – then yeah, you start to maximize what is remaining of the Matt Ryan uh, contract and the Matt Ryan career. I've, I've been a big fan of saying for years, ask him to do less, you'll get more. And, and that's really uh, what has happened outside of everyone from Tom Brady. Every one of these other quarterbacks that are an aging quarterback, if you can give them a defense and give them a run game, they're good enough to win football games, but you just can't ask them to throw the football 40 times a game anymore. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's part of this transition as he enters his age 36 season. It's just that um, if they want to keep this going, they can. If they don't, then I understand that too. Um, in your estimation, what do you think the Falcons are likely to do? What do you think their course of action will be this this offseason? I'm a big believer in, in draft the quarterback of the future. There is... But what if, goes, they, what if the three teams ahead of them all take the big three quarterbacks? If Wilson, Fields, and Lawrence are off the table, would you still follow that philosophy? I've already been a big fan of, I'm going to take my third round pick and see if I can move up. I, I okay. still do not believe, and, and we've had all the reports out of Miami, and then Miami basically saying, no, two is our guy. It's really hard to move away from a quarterback who did win you football games with the idea that, well, maybe the next guy is going to be better. It's different if it's Josh Rosen, where you sit back and you go, I don't know if he fits us from a culture yeah. standpoint. I don't know if he's going to play well. Let's go to the next guy. That That's a rarity. 
I think that they are pot committed to Tua Tonga-Bailoa, and they're going to see how it plays out. I, I firmly believe that if the Falcons wanted to take a third-round pick and move up, they're going to be able to offer that to Miami and, so, and ensure themselves being able to draft the quarterback of the future and allowing that player to sit and watch for a season before it's time to take over, similar to what we saw with Kansas City in 2017. Well, I think Kansas City is a good example of this. Breer had a really good column on SI today about this. Um, Teams like the Rams, who now find themselves in this zone, and the 49ers, where they are okay with their quarterback. They're okay with Goff. They're okay with Garoppolo for another year. The Chiefs were okay with Alex Smith, and they were going to use their draft capital um, to trade it for a quarterback that they really fell in love with. They fell in love with Mahomes. Um, the Rams can survive for a couple years with this, and the 49ers can too until they really find somebody. They're like, oh, we're willing to put all of our chips in to make an adjustment, but until then, we're going to draft Tyreek Hill. We're going to draft the Travis Kelsey. We're going to draft some edge rushers. We're going to draft people to fill in around those spots where we would usually use that draft capital to trade it for a quarterback instead we're just going to replenish the roster around them so that when the time comes that we really believe into one specific quarterback that we want to chase then that's what we'll do and we'll be ready and they'll have the the cupboard won't be empty at that point so i wonder if that's the thing is with the dolphins i just i don't take any of that stuff at face value yet because they haven't had an opportunity to work out fields they haven't had an opportunity to see Zach Wilson. They haven't had an opportunity to see Trey Lance. They might fall in love with one of those three. And then they're like, oh, we did like Tua. This wasn't a lie on January 21st that Tua's our guy. But then they start working him out. They start sending more tape. Then it becomes more of a possibility. And they interact with him. They do a Zoom call. Maybe they do in person in three months. Like, there are so many things that can come up in those in these next couple months that, like, I don't know why people take it, like take that for anything other than a grain of salt, right? Well, but here's where you're missing this one aspect. When these scenarios have happened, typically there's been a coaching or a GM change. And the fact that you haven't had that, you're talking about Brian Flores and that front office who said, this is our guy. Here's the pick. Let's turn in the card. It's really difficult. We saw this here in Atlanta. Vic Beasley was what he was. And because he was Dan Quinn's first overall guy that he ever picked as a head coach and Thomas Dimitrov had used a top 10 pick on him, it was really hard to not give him the fifth year option and to not move him off the roster when the opportunity came up. These guys get pot committed because they spend so much time. And so I think it's very hard for an organization that hasn't had uh, an extreme amount of change at the head coach and GM position to say a year later, hey, we messed up at the most critical pick we had last year, and now we got to fix it. Yeah, I um, I also just think it's more palatable for fan bases to do that now. Like the Cardinals, no Cardinals fans are mad about going from Rosen to Kyler. So if you go from Tua to Fields, and Fields is just electric day one, it doesn't matter. Like I don't think teams are as nervous about flipping those guys early on as they may have used to have been, right? I think that there's going to always be a shorter leash on guys, but the the biggest jump in the NFL is first year to second year. You you consistently see guys who move from their first year to second year, and you're also talking about this too. We didn't have regular training camps. We didn't have regular mini camps or anything else uh, last offseason, and so I think it's very hard to draw up an evaluation and say, this guy can't possibly be the guy, and I definitely have to flip him for the next one. Uh, and, well, and you also just have two. to be damn sure. You have to be damn sure that two is healthy and two is going to be better than one of those three. You have, And well, that's your that's your whole scouting department. Like that's I'll, I'll, flat out, I'll flat out tell you, and this is what's going to happen over the course of, of probably a, a lot of the evaluations that I'm going to be doing next month. Mm-hmm. 
I like Tua Tonga Vailoa as as a passer much better than anything that I've seen out of Justin Fields. I, I interesting. It, it makes it very difficult when you start doing evaluations where guys are always wide open. But Justin Fields is a superior athlete that is consistently late with the football. And so if, if you just tell me, like, here are the college tapes, these two guys, I'm going to tell you that Tua Tonga-Vailoa throws with more anticipation. But I now also have some NFL tape where I go, oh, you're dink and dunk, and that's kind of what you do. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, you want to be absolutely sure. It's just hard to be absolutely sure given the, the circumstances of, of – watching six games of a guy and only seeing, you know, here's his 18th start. I would love to have 30 of them to evaluate. What do you think about my guy, Zach Wilson? Love me some Zach Wilson. That's my dream. I want Zach Wilson in Atlanta so damn bad, but I don't, I don't think he's going to be there. No, I think that's going to be difficult. A lot of this comes back to what the Jets decide to do. If they're going to be pot committed with Sam Darnold and they, they decide to stay there, well, then maybe there's a possibility that he gets to four. And I know it's sacrilege to, oh, my God, why would you go with the BYU guy over the Ohio State slash Georgia slash, you know, uh, state of Georgia player? Because he was just better this year. And we saw he was him just better. He was just better. And, and I think what jumps out to me, Chase, is that for anyone who talks about, well, look at the competition they played. I was like, well, also look at the style of players around him. He's mm-hmm. consistently making tighter window throws because he doesn't have first-round picks on the outside. He doesn't have first-round running backs. Uh, th- that's something that matters to me. I'm always trying to look for, I got to find you playing against similar talent. And a lot of times that's hard to do when you're doing evaluations when it's, here is Georgia uh, playing against a Georgia Tech team, you're like, eh, sorry, they can't match up the same way. I've got to see like versus like. And and with BYU, it's easier for me to see their receivers playing against guys that are relatively similar to them and giving more of an NFL look to watch Zach Wilson, uh, Zach Wilson and evaluate him. That's a really good point. I didn't even consider that. Um, what would you do with the fourth pick? Let's say that three quarterbacks go, would you go – what is your order? This is like an early Losa's uh, draft grades. Where where do you have the top four quarterbacks? In your I'm minds? I'm looking at it as of now. I mean, obviously Trevor Lawrence is number one. It's really a toss up for me when it comes to Zach Wilson uh, and and Justin Fields, only because of this. I do like the bigger athlete in Justin Fields. If you're telling me that I've got a 230 235 pound quarterback. That screams I can handle the physical abuse you're going to take in the league more so than if you're a a 210-pound guy in Zach Wilson. I just like Wilson better as a passer. Trey Lance is maybe the hardest one. You're talking about 13 starts. And the the level of competition— Like what, one game in two years at that point? What, one game last year, a showcase game, and I believe it was 12 starts the year before, and you see things— that you like he's athletic and he's big and, and and again we're talking about another he's outside of trevor lawrence he's the biggest quarterback of these guys he's six forward about 230 235 but how long is the developmental time going to be there because you were playing uh, at a lower level of football and so if i'm not getting a quarterback i don't have any problem investing in the offensive line if it's if it's sewell from from oregon i can live with that can you I'm move somebody not- in the offensive line though for sewell yeah, I, I think what would happen is you'd be looking to move Jake Matthews inside. You end up solving that left guard problem mm. for years. They've talked about Matthews having the ability to play guard or center, that he's that athletic. He's not the overwhelming size left tackle. So if you're telling me I get that guy and I've shored up my offensive line, okay, I can cook with that. But I would still rather have the quarterback beforehand. Interesting. What is, what is, what is the 680 station one? What is the consensus? I think a lot of it comes back to the value, and the value is at quarterback. But there are other people, uh, you know, friend of mine, you know, 
co-host on shows, uh, work on his show. Buck Ballou is much mm-hmm. more about the offensive line. Uh, I think when you talk about the overall talent of this draft, it all centers on, at the top of it, quarterback, wide receiver, offensive line. There's not a pass rusher that deserves to be taken in the top five, the top seven. There's not a defensive tackle that deserves that kind of pick. Uh, and, and then if you want to tell me about cornerbacks, I just don't think that there's somebody – who completely flips the script and who's a, a Jalen Ramsey type. I think there's a lot of good cornerbacks, but there's no one that warns a top 10 pick in my opinion. Last thing and we'll, we'll wrap up here, Los. Um, what are you thinking when it comes to the calf? How, how bad and how dire is the Falcons cap situation that Vaughn not walking into? It's not as bad as some other teams. I'm okay. able to get the team even on the salary cap in about five moves. And, and that's I look at it like chess. OK, how many moves are going to take for me to do that? And that means I'm removing Alan Bailey from the roster. Uh, Carpenter is off the roster. I've got to move a couple defensive tackles and then I'm going to give Jake Matthews a uh, a rework of his contract rather than him making 12 million dollars this year. You're going to hand him a check for 11 million dollars. He's going to make one million in base salary and you're going to spread out the remaining dollars over the, uh, the course of the contract. That's that's an easy way to do it. It's different when you're talking about the Saints. The Saints are about $99 million over. The Eagles are about $80 million over. I, I've been running through the Saints numbers. I have to get to move like 18 or 19 just to get within $20 million of the salary cap. So that's that. you want to talk about a whole lot of surgery that's going to happen there. Mickey Loomis has a whole lot of challenges. Yeah, and losing a lot of pieces <laughs> on Absolutely. the field and off. Uh, yeah, the Saints, I, I, it's going to be really an interesting offseason for them. Um, if you had to do your perfect draft, and we'll end here. First, second, third. Let's just go with the top three. How would you How would you do it if you're the Falcons based on where they're picking? Ooh, uh, can I just say like, hey, look, Trevor Lawrence fell to me because some freak no, accident can't. happened. Somebody, it's like similar to the Minnesota Vikings from years ago. Somebody just accidentally passed. Um, I think <laughs> for me at this point, it's probably Zach Wilson. It's Justin Fields. And then Sewell would be an option for me. You can even talk me into... A, a Kyle Pitts like I, I can get there I think he's gonna be a top seven top eight player in this draft yeah, if you and look so, at what Kelsey does and what yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah matchup nightmare yeah matchup nightmare absolutely I, I can go down that road to, regardless at four you should be getting a franchise player interesting so are you ultimately optimistic about the direction of the Falcons are you happy with their offseason uh, coaching and front office choices to this point yeah, I'm good. Let's let's see where it goes, and let's see again that that name that word you used, identity. Let's see what happens from here. Yeah, and Dean Peace. I love the Dean Peace thing, like the fact that they got him out of retirement. I'm I'm really excited about. All right, Los. Well, what uh, what can we do outside of listening to the audio fun bag every uh, Wednesday night? Um, what can we check out from you? Uh, I mean, obviously, we're doing our Chuck and Chernoff show on 680 The Fan, and then that uh, audio fun bag drops every single Wednesday evening, and so. Those are my two primary things that, uh, that that find ways to put dollars in my pocket. So bring more dollars. Let's go, people. Yeah, let's all make money in 2021. Exactly. Um, the last night, I forgot some of that stuff. I had forgotten some of those moments from years ago. And it, <laughs> uh, it, it was funny. I, I, I'd forgotten it. The, you got to bring back uh, the Chuck and Buck Saturday College Football Show. It has to come back at some point. Oh, my God. If we could ever make that happen, there's... There is not enough money in this world, I think, for for Chuck to subject himself to the craziness well, of what on. they were doing. Would he come back? Would they? Would Chuck do it if Hoyt agreed to come back to the station? Would that no, be- no, I don't think you understand. Like Chuck is very happy without uh, Hoyt oh, around. Oh, he's he's good. <laughs> he always fears that Hoyt's going to get him fired. I'm like, dude, you're going to get yourself fired. It won't be Hoyt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could get him fired for intern abuse. 
Exactly. Uh, I'm like, it, it's not going to be on something that Hoyt played. It'll be something that you do. But, you know, again, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I'll see uh, Hoyt goes and jumps from one foot to the next, deciding if he wants to come back or not. So we'll see how it goes. You know what he's not going to do? Come on this podcast because he's, he's been ducking me for months. And then he complains about it on your podcast about not getting invited. And then he's like, oh, I'm interested. And then you never hear from Hoyt again. Listen, Middle East peace. I'm interested in generating these sorts of things. Let mm. me see what I can do, and maybe he'll join the podcast. Oh, well, we'll see. I'm not holding my breath. Front office. List. I, I get it. Like I said, he's flaky. Like, he's, he's very he, flaky. He's very flaky. God, I'm going to get torched on your podcast next week. Um, <laughs> for that guy down there in Atlanta, Georgia, stay safe out there, Los. Uh, hope everything goes well for you this season. Keep up the great work, sir, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one, Chase. Always appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.